Yeah, we were supposed to do more tour dates this year, but obviously Miss Corona decided to hit us. Oh, she's ruined everything, her. What a cow. She really has. Yeah. What yeah. a cow. Why yeah. are you? Shaking my fist at you, Miss Corona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Davina and I'm Ricky and welcome to Fierce Slay Talk, a decamp podcast where we'll be catching up with some familiar faces from the drag world and beyond, whilst delving deeper into the obstacles life has thrown at them in the journey of becoming fabulous. So shall we begin? Uh, and I'm super, super excited. This week we are getting to talk to the first lady herself. That's right, it's Donna Trump. <laughs> I've never been called first, and two, I've never been called a lady. <laughs> what? How I can don't this believe be? that. How can this be? <laughs> well, welcome, Donna. Welcome, welcome to our little podcast. Thank uh, you for having me. It's lovely to have me. you on here. How are you doing at the moment? I'm, you know, I'm coping. I'm getting there. I'm getting on with it, you know. I'm sick of looking at beige walls and, like, <laughs> yeah. It's just that. It's it's that, isn't it? Are you appreciating a trip to the corner shop? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So it's so sad when it when it's like that's what you got to fill your day. And then you're like, what can I do now? I'm going to eat again. Oh, yeah, it's literally... Paul is always like, oh, should we go, you know, when we're at home, because there, there actually isn't anything to do in Grand Canary. We don't do anything. We are the laziest yeah. people in the world. So he's like, should we have a trip out? Let's <laughs> go to the supermarket. Oh. That's, that's not a trip out. <laughs> <laughs> a trip to co-op and then I come back and I carry on watching reruns of Bad Girls. Oh, that's a good idea. I've got a few days off next week. Bad Girls. Perfect. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic idea. You should go back to Band of Gold. Oh, I loved that. Oh, that was was brilliant. All the prosies on Manningham Lane. Come on! (laughs) And of course, that was in Bradford, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Me and my mother used to love watching Band of Gold. Apart from that was the really funny thing, though, when you're sort of, if you watch it when you're a teenager with your mother and you get to really inappropriate bits and you don't know where to look (laughs) while she's sort of engrossed in the TV while he's pouring a cat, she's pouring a kettle of hot water, wasn't it? (laughs) Do you remember the chicken man? Chicken man? Was it a chicken man? It was the man with the rubber gloves. Oh, God. But it was Kathy Tyson anyway. She's an amazing actress. The only bit I remember is the bit where um, the guy... Is like uh, he's been horrible to her and he's refusing to pay, and she takes off her stiletto heel and smashes it through the back of his Ooh. head. <laughs> oh yes, yes. And he's dead in the car park. Oh, it was fantastic, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, we don't get anything quite as good as bad girls now. As uh, as um, oh crikey, what am I talking about? Band of Gold, Band of Gold. Yeah, it was Kathy Tyson, wasn't it? And the lady who did uh, who did the duet in chess. Oh, was she in it? Yeah. Barbara Dixon? Yes. Wasn't she oh, in was it? was she? I'm sure she was. Wow. I could be lying well, about this, you know. Do you know what? Because I'm one of go. these people who goes to, who watches a film and a series and then I go off and Google everyone who's in it so I can tell you who their brother is and who they were married to until when because I've seen the <laughs> wiki page and everything. I'd be good in a quiz. I never, ever know anybody's name. I am absolutely useless when it comes to like, no, oh, that person, they're called this or that. 
I have not a clue. I've just <laughs> never... It's not one of those things that sticks in my head. Like the oh, things right, that happen, right, I can remember that. But I, in terms of who it was, no. Not a chance. Oh, perfect. Yeah, because they're all getting better now. I'm obsessed with all these American dramas because the standard is now up there with film, isn't it? Anyway, so of course yeah. I'm engrossed in things. Um, talking of American dramas, though, I heard um, that it's a common misconception about your drag name. Um, isn't it true that actually it's nothing to do with Donald Trump at all? Well, I think people assume straight away that it's something to do with Donald Trump because I do have political messages within my work. But um, it's actually just a fart joke. Right. Okay, perfect. So literally <laughs> so, Donald Trump. Yeah, so it's like done a Trump. because <laughs> in Bir- <laughs> So in Birmingham, where I'm from, like if you say it in a Brummie accent, it's like done a Trump. Done a Trump. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise you were from Birmingham. So you haven't got a very Birmingham accent, a very strong accent, have you? Have you never had No, one? no, um, not really. Everyone, my family always used to say I was adopted because they used to speak too posh, they said. <laughs> oh, really? They said okay, it was so the rest of them, the rest of them have got a stronger accent? Yeah, my dad's definitely a brummy through and through. Right. right. You can hear it on certain words with me, especially when I'm drunk. When I'm drunk, yes, it doesn't come out when you're drunk. Davina, have you lost your accent? Do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I actually have. So when I was really little, I used to speak very properly. Uh, okay. And then when I went to high school, that got bullied out of me. So <laughs> I got more of an accent after I went to high oh, school really? than I'd had as a, a sort of little wee kiddly. Yeah. It like people just used to absolutely rip me all the time about how I because I would speak properly. You know, yeah. And everybody else is talking like that. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so if you're the one kid in the class who speaks, you know, speaks like this, oh, hello, you know, then of course, yeah. sounds like the BBC in the middle of Brighouse is not going to work. <laughs> it's not work for Perfect. No, it's not going to, is it? I love a Yorkshire accent. Of course, my mum's from Yorkshire, isn't she? And I'm from Cornwall, which is a weird combination. Oh, wow, that is a weird combo. I know, right, yeah. Dad's from Cornwall, um, mum's from Yorkshire. So whenever the relatives would come down, they'd be... And I don't know why, because they live in the countryside. And, like, they'd literally be cow shit all over the fields. And they're like, oh, smell that country air. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> they're driving around with the windows open. I'm like, will you put it up? It stinks. Yeah. It, smells, it smells like shit. That yeah. is absolutely it. Yeah, they go. We go to the beach for a paddle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Oh, I love the combination though of Cornwall. So they used to play rugby a lot, so we had a bit of rivalry mm. uh, doing that. And of course, everybody likes to drink. The only time I've ever played rugby, I broke my sister's thumb. <laughs> oh, did you? Did you play oh. as a family? <laughs> nice. Like, I'm not a I sporty person, as you might game. be able to tell. Never I think ever. It was the played only again. sport I ever went to PE to in in school. <laughs> oh really so you liked rugby yeah was it the shape of the ball i think it was the shape of the boys <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that yeah absolutely who doesn't love a rugby player and i mean i'm like oh yes please scrum 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 <sighs> on the donna trump name um you had a previous name um that you decided oh. to change from what was that um she only ever had one outing and one outing only okay um and it just didn't fit right <laughs> so um originally i for some strange reason decided to call myself knickerbocker glory hole 
<laughs> Davina didn't know this. <laughs> so I had one outing as Knickerbocker Glory Hole, and then it just was like, nah. <laughs> what What was the idea behind the name Knickerbocker Glory Hole, though? Like, what was that about? Well, I think I think I just wanted something really playful and kind of, like, cheeky. And my naivety just went to because food. we all know what a knickerbocker looks like. It's got, like, lumps of brown stuff in it. And if that's in a glory hole, I'm not going to that glory oh. hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Cookies and cream? I don't think. Nicky, <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you were, if you were going to do drag, yeah. what do you think your name would be? Um... I may be something like Blondie South. And the reason I've gone with that is because of like loving all of my 80s music and loving Blondie when I was like even pre-age 10 and the mm. fact that I'm from the South. So that was kind of like a nice combo. But I'm sure we can probably put more of an edge on it. Um, what was your pet name, that the pet that went missing or made its all, way all the way home? What was he called? Oh, Shadwell. Yes, oh. I thought you'd have tried to make a, make a name out of that, but of course you've gone for cl- pure class with uh, with Davina de Campo, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> pure class. Mm. Yeah, it's got the Ita- Italian edge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> that. Oh yeah. my goodness. So I reckon the Blondie South thing isn't does, doesn't have any comedy in it, though, does it? I mean, I'm not sold on the Blondie South as a name. It kind of sounds like a pale ale. It does. Yeah, yeah. it does. Or, You're absolutely right, yeah. Or a type of paint. <laughs> Let me get the Julux chart out. <laughs> I'm going to need your help, Davina, in all of this. This will be something we'll work towards slowly. Uh, okay, so we'll think about where you can start out. Uh, Donna, starting yeah. at Cha-Cha, at Cha-Cha Boudoir. Cha-Cha Boudoir. Glorious Anna and Cheddar. Um, mm. You've been seen as innumerable different things so there's been like a baby yes. donald duck molly yes. weasley mm-hmm. a hippo mm-hmm. like where are you where are you pulling the inspirations for these looks from a lot of my inspiration in drag comes from the idea of childhood imagination like my my nephew's experience like for example i did a walrus look very recently which was um themed around a bath toy that my nephew could never have a bath without he was like he wouldn't feel comfortable in the water unless he had this toy so i kind of took that influence with that and animals and disney cartoons were kind of my my safe haven as a child because i always felt a little bit kind of outcast and lonely and like nobody really understood me but i really understood myself So I would explore myself through these kind of like cartoons or these musical films or these fantasy like imagination things. And I think it's me kind of calling back to that innocence, really. So quite early. Yeah, quite early, early memories. And what what is it that made you realise there aren't actually any boundaries with drag? Because yours is very much not like yours is not like, oh, she's the glamorous woman. Like (laughs) yours is like, I'm not sure what this is, but I like it. Well, I think I think that's the thing. I I've never liked being put in a box. I've never liked someone going, "Okay, I know exactly what they're going to do and I know exactly what who they are." Because I think people change and people evolve. And I 
always like to challenge myself to like exceed the expectations of what people would expect from me before I started drag like drag race was pretty prominent um was starting to get more prominent and that was a lot of introductions to drag for people and for me all the conversation that I was getting about drag was like drag you have to look feminine you have to look female all the time you have to portray this this woman-like persona and I was like well why yeah I was asking this question why why is it why does it have to be like why do I have to look like a woman why do I have to like wear like a pretty dress and stuff like that and sometimes I do attempt to look pretty I will say that I do try and look pretty sometimes um I like I kind of do it for my own enjoyment. It's very selfish that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's definitely enjoyed by everybody. Do you think that, that like, what you were saying about the female, th- do you think that's a lot of influence of the US um, drag race? Because it's very different to the UK. And theirs is very much about feminine, and it seems to be more about feminine appearance than perhaps the comedy or the art. Um, I think it could have. I think it will have an influence there. Um yeah. I've had experiences in the US and I've seen drag in the US and not all of it is that feminine portrayal of drag at all. Um, and I've got, I, when people say, oh, American drag is completely different. And mm-hmm. my, my response to that usually is, no, the American drag that you have seen and been exposed to yeah. is very different to what it's you've different. seen in the UK. Sure. Because what the thing with America is, as well is that, it's an enormous place. Like, it's oh, not, yes. you know, just one state is like four times the size of the UK anyway. So, yeah. of course, there's going to be a vast array of different kinds of drag going on because there are a vast array of different kinds of people. Yeah. But what we get fed, you know, what we get to see is very much the, I'm very feminine, I'm very woman, I'm very this, I'm very, you know. And yeah. um, and I think that that, that does a slight disservice in some ways to actually, you know, drag as a whole. Uh, yes. Because it does kind of uh, perpetuate this idea that it must be this, otherwise it's not valid, which I, yeah. I don't think is helpful. I've got a really itchy nose, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I'm busy here scratching my nose up. <laughs> but I think, I think that's really interesting that you say that, Davina, because drag should be challenging the norm. Especially a lot of people always say to me, why do you choose to lip sync and why do you choose to do these kind of mix tracks that people are like, oh, you've put that mix together. Why have you done that? And for me, I kind of have always looked as drag as a voice within the LGBTQ community and kind of like literally a megaphone in that kind of sense for the voices that don't feel heard and the voices that feel like they've been silenced for a long time. And that's why me personally, the majority of the acts that I do are lip sync because I will use voices that people are kind of familiar with or aware of and they feel that kind of safety to listen to, but kind of turn it on its head and make them think of something else. So that's that's why I kind of choose to do that. And I think it's really interesting that drag is trying to be defined as one thing when it's a vast array of lots of things <laughs> sure i'm always really interested to you know for drag queens like what was your first experience of like a, a drag show or a, like an lgbt nightclub you know because 
like for me, my first sort of experience of drag was, uh, it would be Panto. That would have been the first time that I would have seen any of it. And then the first time I remember seeing a drag queen, it was in uh, this tiny little pub in Huddersfield called Greyhound, which is now unfortunately not there anymore. Um, and uh, the drag queen, her whole show was sort of centered around a makeup table. So she had like this makeup table that had the lights around it, but no glass in it. And the whole mm -hmm. show was kind of centered around that, but she was doing lip sync numbers. You know, she didn't really talk. She would just sort of disappear and then reappear again in a different outfit, doing a different number. Um, so I'm always really interested to see like wh who it was that you first saw that made you go, oh, 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 okay. My, the first drag queen I ever saw perform live in front of me was Misty Chance. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, it was Misty Chance, and it was on my first ever night out in Manchester when I moved here um, for university. And I literally, she was getting to the end of a show, and she was performing her ever famous Titanic number. <laughs> <laughs> you know Listen, exactly what number you, I'm talking about. When you spent money, when you spent that money mm. on those props and those costumes, exactly. you are gonna make them pay. And I was like, I just thought, I loved the idea of playing with this narrative that is so classic and everyone knows and kind of turning it on its head. And I was just, I don't even remember laughing. I just remember being like, <gasps> like kind of like enamored, kind of in glee with it as a, like a young 18 year old. And I was just like, this is crazy. And I love it. Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just enamoured with this with this woman with yellow eyeshadow and an aubergine lip. And... <laughs> that should be the, the title of her book. <laughs> Misty's Life. A yellow lid and an aubergine, aubergine lip. lip. <laughs> Absolutely, and a white hair. I know. Such a like an iconic look. Like whenever you see those combos, now you just go misty chance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's you know I think there's one of those things as well about drag queens. It's like a clown. They have like that's their face, and Misty yes. very clearly has this is the misty face. You know the yes. way that she draws her eyebrows, the way she does the lip. It's very clearly that's Misty Chance's face. Mm -hmm. You know that's her. Um, yeah. So yeah, she's. That's that's what we talk about when we mean iconic. Yes, <laughs> you know literally. It's her. You know it's her straight away. Straight away. So you said you came to Manchester to study. What was it that you were studying? Was it I, to do with performing or? I studied a, a degree in musical theatre. Oh, okay. yeah, lovely, lovely. Where where did you go? Can we ask? I went. I went to the Arden School of Theatre. Do you know? I knew you were going to say that. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I was just expecting that. Perfect. And how did um, you find it? Um, it was challenging. Um, okay. Not mostly because of the people. To be honest, I'll be honest. Um, I kind of, okay. I felt like, like. Davina will know as being like a, a performing arts tutor as well. Mm -hmm. Like those kind of environments, people are all about their own game. Right. You went to a hardcore 
school like that and I just went to a university but I already had a hard shell by the time I got to uni I was like hard as nails no nothing anybody was saying to me was getting to me like I was hard as hard as nails so I'd have I'd have probably done better in that environment I think yeah you know uh than just going to a university because I was ready to be challenged and for people to say stuff and go, it's not good enough, it's not this. You know, I was ready for that. Yeah. But I got a much easier time at university in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, definitely. I don't remember people being that harsh to each other at Salford. But to be honest, then I did think the other day, like, I'm, I'm not sure, I need to go and have a look at what everybody's doing now and see whether they have actually pursued that as a as a career or not. Yeah, well, absolutely. All yeah. I will say is that out of my graduating year, I'm probably the most prominent in performance so well you see that's all it is isn't it exactly that's what it is <laughs> who laughs last last longest <laughs> you your laugh will definitely last longest though Davina <laughs> yeah for sure for sure <laughs> so you you you're quite I mean your name is Donna Trump yeah. Even though that is a joke, you're, you're not shying away from politics, are you? Like, you've done stuff about Me Too and mm. uh, messages to Donald Trump himself. And, you know, so that particularly, that's what I sort of find interesting about this is that me having done a university degree, which was much more academic, yes. and that sort of makes sense for somebody like me. But for, you, for somebody like you who's gone through more of a... Um, a vocational. A vocational course um how does that come come to there you know that you're not just doing this is a performance and a show and da, 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 okay okay you know it's it's more about actually there's a message and there's an idea running through here where did that come from because that's a kind of interesting pivotal moment i think in a lot of people's work like it just dawned on me one day i was like why am i doing this what does everything mean and i particularly while i was training at uni I had a an acting tutor who was very particular and was like, you don't move, you don't speak, you don't cough, you don't breathe unless you have a reason to do it. And you have to have that reasoning to do it. So those kind of like motives and those questions kind of informed me. I was like, okay, why am I going to move over here? Why am I going to open my mouth and say this line, etc.? within theatre, I kind of applied it to my drag performance. Like, okay, why am I gonna go on this stage and what am I going to do with that four minutes? What What's the reason and what am I trying to achieve in that? And a lot of my performance styles, it's kind of like I section it off and I kind of try and give people that kind of okay we're going to explore this and then we're going to move it on to here and a lot of people I think a lot of people particularly with my drag they kind of go oh you've just made a funny mix to make people laugh and I'm like that's what you've taken away from it that's fine that's because I'm I'm gifting that to you and you do what you like with it whereas I kind of try and add these questions for people to go and find their own answers and that's that's why like i think education particularly within drag and exploring that kind of we're going to have these lessons and 
if you want to listen, you can. If you want to dance to this song, you can. Like, I try and cater for everyone so it's nobody feeling kind of, I don't get this. Because I think that's when you kind of lose your audience, when they don't understand what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That's like the education side of stuff is something that's kind of running through as well, isn't it? Because you you set up Fantabulosa with a load of other drag queens as well. So that's like more of a, a an early years project. Am I right in saying that? Yes, it's more, it's more um, definitely directed towards early years and like family units. So Fantabulosa is a children's um, drag show, which is built around um, children's storybooks that kind of, they they explore LGBTQ themes, but they're not going, this is a story about gay people. This is a story about lesbians. Here, yeah. meet daddy back. Here's mummy lesbian. Aren't they great? Which I think a lot of people assume when you tell them, oh, this is an LGBTQ plus storybook. They're like, oh, they're mentioning That's a lesbian. It's gonna no, yeah. it's not that. Like, and... I remember once when we when we were setting up the show and we created the show, we the one thing that we all agreed on was that the message of the show was that everyone deserves to be loved the way that they are. Okay. And that was why we we kind of set up the show and the actual aim of it wasn't to take it to these big cities, these big metropolitan cities that already have maybe this queer night culture or this queer culture already embedded in them. Um, Adam Carver, who is the producer, um, alongside a lot of um, drag artists of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, um, different genders and different styles were able to come together. And what was really beautiful was that Adam was like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want to inha- I want to use your skills that you already have to kind of channel them in this way which is why i agreed to do the project because i was like okay you're not trying to fit people in a box you're letting them open their box yeah for people to explore (laughs) (laughs) well you know if you want to take it like that (laughs) well davina (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of the places were really small towns that probably one have never seen a drag act in their life yeah it was really interesting that we were doing this show literally in open spaces it wasn't inside a theater we were doing it out in the open people some people were driving past seeing the show happen and it was in shopping centers it was it was very visual accessible yeah Yeah. and that was the whole point of course. What what do you think of like the the younger drag kids like uh, Desmond? It's amazing. He's only ten years old. Is he only? T- I thought he was older. Now I think he's had a longer drag career than me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, had a more he... successful one than me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, with like I think with drag children, like children that want to explore the art form of drag, like. I don't see any harm in it if you have someone who is there to guide and learn with the child. Like as a as a teacher, someone who like has been a teacher, sure. I feel like a child should ne- or a young person 
doesn't necessarily have to learn everything for themselves and on their own. I feel like they need that kind of guide or that kind of person who's going to help them um, hit these kind of key points. Expression, sure. Yeah, that's my kind of, of course, take yeah. on it, I think, is that it's an, a vehicle for self-expression, you know, at that age, rather than this is something for me to earn money out of. I think there's, you know, there's, apart from all of the safeguarding questions and, you know, all of yes. that stuff, because obviously that has to come into play with all of, of that course. stuff. Um, purely because if you're taking children into what is specifically an adult space, mm-hmm. um, there are questions around that. Um, it, you know, for me, it's, it's about um, age appropriateness, you know? Yes. So just like at junior school, when you're talking about sex ed, you're not talking about the actual ins and outs, if you know what I mean. No, it's not an instruction um, manual. Like, keep my box you know, closed for that one. Exactly. You're talking about, you know, it takes a bit of sperm and an egg and then a baby arrives and then the baby's loved by its parents. You know, yeah. and if you're like three, that conversation will be different to if you're 10. And if you're 10, that conversation is going to be different to when you're 16. And so it's about creating those appropriate spaces for that expression to of take course. place rather yeah. than this kid wants to do this. Okay, let's put him on stage. You know, I, I've always felt this. Um, it makes me slightly uncomfortable, I think, when when children are brought into that space, sometimes yes. because of the language, depending on who's on stage. Sometimes I think the material can be inappropriate. Um, yes. And like as a teacher, just as a teacher, I'd always been really careful about uh, the language in the music that I was using. You know, yes. so if, if I thought that the language is a bit too much, I just don't use that track. Um, yeah. I think it's it's about those adapting, uh, adaptive learning cultures. It's kind of like, okay, are you able to access this the way that it, it is intended rather than run free, child, run free. Yeah. <laughs> like... So from, from Fantabulosa, you know, yeah. ab- about this whole sort of... Because... Uh, it's very, very politically charged at the moment. You know, we had all of the conversations in Birmingham, which weren't really conversations, more just slangy matches, about whether um, LGBTQ plus um, information and family... It's, it was about families. It was literally like, yeah. here's two mummies. Some people have two dads. But that, that was um, really interesting. So did you those... get did you get much criticism from people from doing the Fantabulosa show? In the entire time that we have done that show, we have had one complaint. <gasps> one. That's amazing. In Birmingham, where we started and, and birthed the show, we had nothing but absolute praise. So it's interesting because... Where, where was that? Where, this is always interesting, I think. Where was that <laughs> one complaint from? So the complaint was... Um, it was a seaside town. I'm trying to remember where it was. Oh. It was a seaside town near Brighton. Where? And I can't... I can't Eastbourne. Okay. <laughs> I can't, like... This is, how, this is how many dates and how many things. We'll keep I going. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing was this... this um, it was, it was a, a man and a woman who were a couple... And they had no children, and they watched the show, and 
They waited for the entire audience to leave. They waited for the cast to leave and they approached our producer and our director. And um, they raised their concerns for the appropriateness for children and whether, and I think the quote was, I think it was something like, are you sure that people like you should be around children? <laughs> oh my goodness. Which, which was, and the producer and the director said, um, and just bluntly said, yes, people like us should be around children. Oh because, my God. Because we're, we're and, not and people they said, like you. <laughs> and they said, and they, they said, they said to them, they were like, what was offensive about the show towards children? And then they started bringing up like, well, we don't think that um, the gay agenda and stuff like this. They were discussing this. And then the director and the producer um, just said to them, OK, when do we ever mention the terms lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual at all in the show? Um, we don't. And we specifically made those conscious decisions, not because we wanted to erase those terminologies, but we wanted to kind of not put the show into a box already that society would already do. We wanted society to take the messages away. But yeah, like it's really interesting because those comments and that debate that happened in Birmingham about the primary school um happened exactly a year after we did the show so it was exactly a year um that all of those protests outside the school were happening which i think there's been there's been a much uh, you know there's been quite a turbulent political time uh, Mm -hmm. in that period anyway which has uh highlighted and um i think it's validated a lot of people who uh, maybe aren't as open-minded and aren't as forward-thinking um, as they could be. You know, it's given them a kind of credibility to come out and say, this is disgusting and I don't agree. I don't know why I'm from <laughs> we did it. In, we did it in Barnsley. <laughs> did you do it in Barnsley? Yeah, nice we one. did it in Barnsley. How we did it go, go down Barnsley. in Barnsley? I used to work in Barnsley. Um, I was in a dance company in Barnsley. Um, and honestly, it was one of my favourite jobs, one of my favourite places to perform. The people were really, really lovely. And uh, I I personally had a great time in Barnsley, but I'm interested in what okay. your experience was it, like. was it was tough. <laughs> it was tough. It wasn't like, it wasn't unpleasant. It was just, I think a lot of, they'd all come and they knew it was a children's show. And I think they were all just a bit like, what's going on? Bearing in mind, one of the cast members was Ginny Lemon, who is just absolutely off her rocker anyway. Completely. She is, she is literally, I describe her as Sue Pollard on acid. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and she was like, I remember her just getting on the mics going, and I'm Ashley, you're right! And like, nobody responded. And she just went, <laughs> oh no. She went, this is a quiet one, isn't it? <laughs> So we were we were faced with challenges of kind of like people going, this isn't our norm. We don't get it. We're not going to give you anything. Right. You could kind of see what was what was really beautiful about the show was you really saw these people go on a journey with you. Right, and actually, there was times where 
we gave the learning over to the children to teach their adults. Yeah. Um, and so you could tell that when adults were confused, the children were explaining what was going on. So the children okay. were able to grasp the knowledge quicker than adults. Than so that's adults, why it became right. more of a family education. So it wasn't just, just the children, the adults were also being educated. It's funny because when we were um, la- last year, the year before, when um, Channel 4 did their genderquake season, I remember interviewing Monroe Bergdorf and there was the people in their genderquake house and they'd picked this one guy from Barnsley and his experience, I remember, was one of the most interesting because he'd gone in there like oh, with this whole what am I getting myself into attitude and yeah. said himself, oh, I came from this town where, you know, men are men and women do this and then, you know, came out the other side being completely changed and... Uh, and yeah, so it's nice to see that so many people took a took a huge interest in, um, in it as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we were supposed to do more tour dates this year, but obviously Miss Corona decided to hit us. Oh, she's ruined everything, her. What a cow. She really has. Yeah. What a cow. Why are you shaking my fist at you, Miss Corona? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, for you, it's, uh, and it's similar for me, like, I feel like... Um, drag isn't just art it's about the platform and of and then course. how that interacts kind of politically as well yes definitely um i mean one of the most prominent political figures in queer history was a black trans drag queen like we can't say that we aren't political because we are literally stepping out of our houses and going into public in a visual expression of queerness no matter how you choose to express that queerness being queer is political it is a political movement so i feel i think that if anyone what's really interesting is when drag queens go oh i'm not a political drag queen and i'm like you are political you existing is political you are the result of politics your career is because of politics Mm. whether you choose to be very visible and visual about that or not literally you existing is politics and it's interesting because they don't know that they're being political and i think sometimes when when you when that clicks in a drag queen's head that they are being political they kind of flourish in a way that you don't see anyone else do and they actually engage more with their material and their their audience i believe yeah i think when that finally sort of goes and they get that actually those drag queens generally become more politically engaged then you know because at at the point where they're going oh i'm not a political drag queen it's because you're completely disengaged from it you're in that point of privilege you know it is a privileged position to be in to be able to go oh i'm not political um and as soon as you become aware that actually just doing drag is political you are making Mm -hmm. a political point there is a statement happening here um sure I think then that spurs them on to go, oh, actually, maybe I need to engage with what what it is that yeah. I'm doing and then how that is contextualised in the in the wider world. Um, so you, you're also kind of, you know, you're not just creating little experiences and opportunities <laughs> for yourself, are you, darling? No, no, she's out <laughs> there working it, making things happen for others as well because you run a night called Curiosity, don't you? 
Oh, well, yes. Um, well, physically it did exist before a certain bar was sold. It, um, well, I, listen, <laughs> I, I am not sorry Get that, in that, that there, particular Donna. bar got sold at that particular time. I am quite girl, pleased that that happened. Girl, girl, I don't blame you. <laughs> no, um, that's the thing. Things, things progress and things, you know, evolve. And uh, like, I'm, I'm one person that really understands that. Um, but yeah, I, I started a a little weekly um, cabaret night um, called Curiosity, which I called the Curious Cabaret because I kind of gave myself the mammoth task of um, doing a brand new show every week. There was no there was no material repeated at all. Like I I love drag. I love drag as an art form. And I really enjoy different types of drag and exploring that. And I want, I have a lot of accessibility to different types of drag. And I feel like sometimes people don't feel it's accessible to them. And the whole reason I set up the night was to make sure that these these other drag artists and queer performers were able to express their art in a way that they haven't before, but also audiences experience it. And the reason that I kind of actually chose the specific venue of Void, I thought it was a challenge because Void is known as, was known as a a club night, which was a late night club night, full of smoke, everyone's raving, like people crawling out at 10 a.m. It it was smoke. (laughs) It was smoke. It was haze. It was haze all over. but and I remember it was so it was really interesting um when we announced that we were doing the night the initial reaction was a cabaret night is never going to work in void never going to work in void and I was like how do you know how do you know has it ever been tried no I've been pushing for it for yeah you had opened I'd been saying we need to do some alternative cabaret downstairs. That's what should be happening in that space before we open it up as like the nightclub. That's the space for it. Like it's perfect. But you know, nobody ever listens to grandma, do they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had a very diverse cabaret team, um, which um, interestingly enough, um, there were more women on the team than men. Um, which was something I really loved because I feel like whenever you talk about drag, a lot of people just assume cisgendered males. And I feel that there is a lot of drag that people haven't really explored or never really been introduced to that's happening with all different genders and spectrums. And um, it was just really lovely to see these acts come into this space and do something daring and people were like oh. and what was really nice was that people were coming in that probably had never ever stepped foot into void because they never felt the club was accessible to them because they'd already put it in its box and i was like come in if you don't like it you can leave you don't even have to pay a door charge like and i think that was one thing that I kind of wanted to do was not put a door charge on it because 
then people could come and understand its own worth. And um, we were, we were, I like, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great success. What else could we look forward to in the future from Donna? Honestly, I don't know what the future's going to entail. A lot of the projects that I had rest up for the year have probably have been postponed or cancelled due to Corona. Um, sure. I was due in May. I was supposed to be in a run of um, Peaches Christ's parody, The Adam's Apple Family, with um, <laughs> with Sharon Needles and Jinx Monsoon, um, oh, and I and I wasn't playing Fester. <laughs> What? <laughs> everyone when it was announced everyone was like oh donna you're playing fester and i was like no i'm playing fugsley <laughs> oh this is tr- how tall are you donna i am five foot eleven five, without heels without heels without okay yeah oh i'm tiny me by comparison yeah so far yes you could do that yeah and i like for me i like if i want to do something like an experience i'm gonna do it i think and I don't, I don't know what the future's going to hold. It's, it's just, it's going to be a very interesting landscape because we don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to have to venture into it. A brave new world. I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I feel like a little hobbit, <laughs> but with less hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a lovely time chatting with you today. Thank you for having me. No worries. It's an absolute pleasure. We're very excited about talking to you and you have not disappointed. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Now, before we let you go, though, where can people find you on social media and all of that jazz? So all of my social media can be found at the handle at Donna Trump UK because someone already took at Donna Trump. So at Donna Trump UK, you can find me on all the social medias. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, Donna, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. An absolute scream. And I'm sure that we'll see plenty of you in the future. I hope so. Definitely. Looking (laughs) forward to it, Donna. Thank you. I got bills to pay. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, we have come to the end of the episode. This has been Fierce Slay Talk. You can join us on our journey by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Fierce Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us going on. We could talk for hours. And if you enjoyed the show, let your friends know. Go on, spread the word. Be sure to review the podcast as well. Till next time. You want it. You got it. I won't hold back. Come snatch it. Come take it. All yours right off the rack. No wanting, no waiting. You shake me down, you touch it, you taste it. Come take me here and now. Try it and buy it, the top of the stack. Bag it and snag it, no need to attack. Instant and present, hit go and play back. Right now, right now. Take it and tame it, walk me to the door. Have it and hold it, you only want more. Live it and love it, you've got it, it's yours. Right now, right now.